be. You're very welcome here because our children are here. We're not going to do a Palm Sunday ser sermon like you've heard before, where it is all about nails and whips and pain. They are little children and they need to come worship Jesus too. They need a safe place too. Besides adults, we've heard the story, haven't we? So we're going to spend it a different way today. We're going to start with John the Baptist. A little passage that it's very easy to, to lose. It, it, it escapes our attention. But it would, have hurt, it would have hit the first readers with a thud. Their breath would have caught in their chest. They would have shuddered. We just read it and pass on because we don't really get it. This is John 1, verses 6 through 14. We're going to do some long readings today. And then down to verse 29. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. We just sang about the, the Lamb of God. What we need to remember is where John was, was near the major, one of the major roads into Jerusalem. Every time there was a time of sacrifice, whether it was uh, Pentecost, Passover, whatever it was, there, the roads would have been full of pilgrims walking into Jerusalem. The rule was very strict. You could only sacrifice a perfect animal. And so they would pick out a perfect lamb and have to transport it from wherever they were to Jerusalem. Traditionally, the small boys were given the job of watching the lamb. And you can understand and imagine that the road would have been full with people saying, watch the lamb, watch the lamb, watch the lamb. Because you don't want it to get loose. You don't want it to get hurt. You don't want it to get bitten by a dog. You don't want it. It has to be perfect. Watch the lamb. And when Jesus steps out of the crowd, John stops his sermon and he said, that's the lamb. Do you get what he says now? We think, oh, the lamb of God. That is not what they would have thought. They would have said, what, what, are you, what are you saying? Because the lambs are going to be slaughtered. And you say, he has come from God and he's the lamb. This is, this is head spinning. The people there would have had a hard time with this, trying to figure out what, what are the implications of what he's just said. So we, to get it all, we've got to go back to his days, the days of John the Baptist in this event. Every day, as you're walking along, you would have seen the equivalent of billboards. They would have been banners, carvings, stones. Every day, seeing Caesar is Lord, you would have been considered unpatriotic and a danger to the community if you were heard to say Jesus is Lord. Because everybody says all the time, Jesus is Lord. Uh, I'm sorry, Caesar is Lord. Most public activities had a prayer to Caesar. You know, such as in America, you have uh, the Star Spangled Banner before a sporting event, or you have, you have a song about patriot, and in seventh inning, you've got God Bless America. You've got some way to, to show your patriotism Every sporting event, every business transaction had a prayer to Caesar or some show of allegiance to Caesar and Rome, and by extension, the gods of Rome. If you did not participate, 
you were considered unpatriotic, a danger to the community, and even an atheist because you did not believe in their gods every single day, no matter what you did. Again, sporting events, buying meat in the market, learning a trade and joining a guild or a union, all of them involved pledges of allegiance to Caesar as Lord and to the gods of Rome. And then came social events such as parties, banquets, at which your attendance was mandatory if you were going to move anywhere in society. What do they do there? Prayers, toast to Caesar as Lord and to the gods. As you got wine, you had to pour out a little bit first to the god Bacchus. Everything you did was about the gods, everything. And that showed your loyalty. That's the world these people lived in. You couldn't even buy food without going through one of these ceremonies. And if you didn't do it, people wouldn't do business with you. If you separated yourself from the paganism, you could lose your job. You certainly would fall down the social ladder and a lot of parents wouldn't let their kids play with your kids because you're dangerous, you're cultic. Yeah, they referred to Christians as cult, as seditionist, as atheist, as disloyal. And you'd get no help from the priest if you ran to your church. This, the Jews had long suffered, but now they couldn't even go to their priesthood because the priesthood now was a bought and paid for subsidiary of the government. It had been overwhelmed and taken over by Antiochus IV, an invader, an awful man, also known as Antiochus Epiphanes, a horrific man. But he had taken control of the priesthood doled out who was in charge where and sold the priesthood, uh, the high priesthood to the highest bidder than the one he could control. And he'd put them in, and from then on, leaders would put them in and out at their whim. You couldn't even go to church to get comfort. You wanted to be the best term, the highest term for a Jew. You wanted to be a God-fearer, a righteous man, Sadek. You wanted to be faithful to the God of the Jews. But if you followed Jesus, then Rome and some of your own countrymen would turn on you, call you dangerous. Romans would go further. You'd lose your rights. What do you do? It's really hard to put ourselves in that place, isn't it? Somebody gets in front of us in Kroger with too many cart items in their cart for the fast lane and we get upset. Think about the world these people lived in. And they're taking a lamb to be slaughtered. And then they're told, here's your hero, and he's a lamb. When was the last time you were in war or in, tr in crisis and you said, send in the lambs? You don't say that. This is why, by the way, they went from Hosanna to crucify him in a week. Because when they first saw Jesus, they thought, yes. Finally, somebody who's going to stand up for us against Rome, somebody who's going to call down the forces of heaven, somebody who's going to ride on his horse with his big sword, leading us back a new Maccabees, a new hammer family that's going to come in and just hammer Rome and show people there is a God in heaven and he's in charge. And yet Jesus walks off of a mountain to a mob and says, Take me, I won't resist. 
What? How's that going to help us? You might say, well, when people see the crucifixion, then they'll, they will change. That's it. They'll change. People roam lined roads with crucified people. Hundreds of them. One more crucifixion. What's that going to do us any good? How's, how's that going to help anybody? They were shocked. They felt the thuds and the, the hammer of the feet hitting the roads, Roman armies marching. Roman armies were one of the first to teach marching in column, pounding with the feet. That was a way to signal, we're on our way and you'd better run. It was a, to be terrifying. They heard that. The power of Rome, the might of Rome were all bound up in its capacity. I would even say its proclivity to bring violence and destruction like that on anybody who disagreed with them. They brought horrific total war wherever they went. They were truly a death cult. Caesar is Lord. The Pectish, if you don't know, Pectish was one of the tribes that lived in Scotland back in those days. Uh, the Pectish chieftain Calgacus, in speaking to his men before they met the might of Rome at a, a place called Mongropius that we still aren't really sure where that was, but it was somewhere in the north of Scotland, right before the, the Romans retreated and built their wall. They won that, uh, the Romans won that battle, by the way. I'm not trying to say otherwise. But Calgacus warned this people. He said, they keep saying they are bringing peace, but they make a desert and call it peace. There is, by the way, if you look that up, there's some argument whether he was quoting Tacitus or Tacitus was quoting him, but he said it before the battle. Their, their vision of peace is wiping you out. Their vision of peace is your death. And Christians, now what are you going to do? Jews, what are you going to do? The priesthood cowed before these marching soldiers. The Essenes fled them and, let out, and, fled and, and lived outside in caves out in the wilderness somewhere with their books thinking we'll just be very holy and God will find a way to save us. They wrote in their books, which we found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, of a warrior prince from the line of David who would arise and kill the enemies of God. The Zealots, a very important political movement and religious movement of the day, but a secretive one, they hid their swords in the folds of their clothes and they waited for a sign from God that it was okay to descend and start killing the Romans, to drive them back and reestablish the people of God. They were waiting for a military leader who would come and lead them and help them slaughter Rome. We know. We have some of their writings. And some of them followed Jesus, like Peter, James, John, and still carried swords as they did so. The Pharisees were looking for a religious leader who would also lead an army. A new Maccabean, like we said, a new hammer family. The name Maccabees means hammer. The Sadducees just wanted to get along and give up any dreams of the Messiah. They just, nope, no Messiah. We get it. There's no Messiah. Let's just get along with everybody. There was no unity among the people. But the common people, according to Matthew 12, verse 37, the common everyday people, they heard Jesus gladly. They... When Jesus stood up against the religious leaders of his day, 
when he wasn't afraid of the politicians of the day, they rejoiced. They were going, yes, we have found the guy that will speak up for us. In Luke chapter 4, verse 32, they were astonished because he speaks with authority. He healed their diseases. He listened to them. He allowed them to interrupt his church when he was teaching them. Whenever he taught or walked around, they were allowed to approach him at any time. He was gentle with them. He loved them. He stood up for them when their leaders took advantage of them. So no wonder on that day when he rode into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey, they ran forward and said, Hosanna, finally somebody loves us and is paying attention to us and is going to stand up for us. And they threw the palm fronds down and they threw their cloaks down and they were so excited on that day. They, they looked for him to heal them. And what did he do? Every day that week, he stood, well, for most of the week, he stood in the temple precincts and challenged the leaders and argued them down and made sure they understood that there is a God in heaven and that people are to be loved. And here's where it gets very strange. We still live in a world ruled by power. The aggressive use of force, whether it is armies or dollars. And Jesus offers to take over this world, just as he did to them. And we go, yes, I mean, how many premillennial fantasies have we heard about Jesus returning one day and it being a big battle in Armageddon and there'll be, a, there'll be all kinds of slaughter and we'll finally teach the bad guys what's. We're still looking for it. And what does God give us instead? Allow me to read to you a rather long passage. I've asked them not to put it on the screen because I want the images to be in your head as they would have had to form it back then in a pre-literate society. They had, um, a lot of people could read back then. I don't want to overstate that. But most people would have just heard this. And this is a long reading. It's Revelation chapter 4 and 5 but I want you to hear what God shows them as their savior. Remember how they live, where they live, what's going on. And after this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I'd first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. I'll show you what must take place after this. At once, I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. The one who sat there had an appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were all dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the spirits of God. And also in the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, Clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. Second one was like an ox. The third was, had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. 
Wherever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They, they lay their crowns on before the, the throne and say, you are worthy, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. And then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the seals, to open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And one of the elders said to me, don't weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures, the, four, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. They were all holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. When I read this, I get a little whip crack effect. Because you see this really powerful being. And then you see these other beings and, you know, what is God going to send into the fight? Is it going to be that thing like an eagle? Yes. That thing like an ox? Okay. That thing like, like a lion of the tribe of Judah? Bring it on. And then when the lion of the tribe of Judah stands up and everybody else, even the, the ox and everything else, fall down in front of him, it's a slaughtered lamb. God has a different way of conquering than we do. We conquer with swords and money and power and, and armies and marching. We conquer with position and don't you know who I am? God conquers by saying, love, 
sacrifice. And we're shocked. But let me just ask you a question. I don't want the historians to answer. Can you name six Roman emperors? There are a lot of them. Can you name six? Can you, can you put them in order? They were God. They were Lord. You can't even remember their name. What are you doing on a Sunday morning all the way to the other side of the world 2,000 years later? We are worshiping a slaughtered lamb. He is conquered in a way we would have never thought possible. Little kids are getting it. We do not win through power and politics and swords and armies. We win through love. We win by following the Lamb of God who was slaughtered for us. And by being slaughtered, the scripture says, saved us, made us a kingdom, made us priest, and gave us our crowns. We declare our allegiance to this Lamb every single time we gather to take communion. By taking it, we declare our belief that Jesus is both Lord and God, that he is our God, and we will bow to none other. I'd like to ask those who are willing to serve, if you would move to the back now and take your stations. I'm going to also, at any time, Mark, that you want to bring your team up. The world only sees a slaughtered lamb. That was interesting. <laughs> the world only sees a slaughtered lamb. We see the Son of God. Do you understand how crazy this sounds? But it works. It has worked. Many of you can't even name 20 presidents. And I know you can't name six prime ministers. But you know Jesus. You know his story. The slaughtered lamb wins. Love wins. Service wins. Sacrifice wins. To prepare us to declare our allegiance to Jesus and our commitment to love as our only weapon. Love as our only weapon. And to all people everywhere who are made in the image of God. Let's hear what Peter said in Acts 2. Did I ask that this be put up on screen? I can't remember. If not, I'll read it. Yeah, well done, guys. <clears throat> Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did, am did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear for David did not ascend to heaven and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus 
whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Amen, church? We who believe this, we who state our faith that Jesus is Lord and God, come to take the bread which represents his body. I'm going to ask you to do something a, a, wee bit diff, a little bit different today. Normally, when the trays are passed, you just take it and pass. I'm going to ask you to hold on to the bread. Now, what happens if you forget and pop it in your mouth? If the tray's still there, grab another. If it isn't, still good. But I want us to all take it at the same time. Now, there are exceptions. There are, there are people here that are balancing six kids. There's no way that bread's surviving. <laughs> I understand that. But if you can hold it, please hold it. Let's have our prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the bread which represents the body of Jesus Christ, who we believe with all of our hearts is the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the one who was raised, the slaughtered lamb. And it is in his name and his name always that we pray. Amen. And for those passing the plates, you will have plenty of time to transition. If you'd like to take your bread and hold it as well, there's plenty of time.
if you would just repeat after me the body of Christ. Could we have John 11 up, please? When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. As we are about to pass a cup, as we take it, we are pledging allegiance to him, the slaughtered lamb, saying, I believe. Let's pray. Father, as we take this cup for which we thank you, we thank you for the blood of Christ that it represents. We thank you that the slaughtered lamb was risen from the dead and killed death, putting it aside, removing it from the weaponry that the devil could use against us and offering us eternal life. Father, when we take this cup, we confess, we believe. In the name of Jesus, the whole church says, Amen. It's hard on little ones. I remember. That's why I became a minister, so I wouldn't have to listen to them. <laughs> and by the way, moms and dads, when your baby cries, do not be embarrassed. This is where we want your baby to be. Crying or sleeping, we want your children here. Never be embarrassed. All right, we love you.
if you would say with me, the blood of Christ. When you are able, would you please stand? A phrase that I often recall to myself and repeat to myself when I think of Paul and Silas and others who sang in prison is a very simple one. We sing in the dark because we believe in the light. Would you repeat that? We sing in the dark because we believe in the light. For over 2,000 years, Christians have stated their belief very succinctly in something known as the Apostles' Creed. The only word in there that gives some people some trouble is the word Catholic. Catholic just means universal, all believers. It's not a denominational term, so don't look upon it that way. If you feel comfortable doing so, please read this with me. And then we will sing a couple of songs and you'll be dismissed toward Easter. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We'll see you at Easter.